0: How's it going out there, everybody? I'm back in Topangas. I think I mentioned, I'm not sure how long I've been here. Um, this episode is with Will Forbes, who is a dude that I I think we talk about it in the podcast. It's one of these serendipitous encounters that I've had over the years. I think I was researching penises as one does when one is working on a book later to become sex at dawn. And uh Will had a blog called My So Called Penis. And I came across that blog and um you know read uh an entry or something and found it to be amusing and intelligent. And I've been following him ever since. And that's gotta be fifteen years ago maybe. So totally chance encounter online. Um, I like the way the guy thinks. Uh, He's smart. He's funny. He's talented. He's quirky. And um, finally, a month or two ago, I met him in person for the first time. He's in San Diego. And uh, I went down there. I think it was the same trip where I was with um, Mickey Avalon and Simon Rex, seeing them perform down there at the House of Blues. And um, anyway, I, I dropped in on Will, and we finally got to hang out a little bit on his back porch, and uh, he played a little music on the ukulele, which I will use for the transition music once I finish this intro stuff, and um, yeah, we talked about life. It was great. I really enjoyed it, but before we get to that, what else do I have to tell you? Oh, I keep getting people, you know, when I do these van trips, like the one I just got back from which I sort of jokingly call Vanthropology. I use the hashtag Vanthropology on Instagram and Twitter and stuff. And uh, lots of people are like, dude, you should make a Vanthropology T-shirt. You know, I definitely buy a Vanthropology T-shirt. So I don't know. What do you think about that? Would you buy a Vanthropology T-shirt that like had Scarlett Johansson on it somewhere and hashtag Vanthropology or maybe... Mentioned Scarlett Johansson somehow. I don't know if I'm in it or just the van. I don't know. Anyway, if it seems like a good idea and you're an artist and you want to throw something together and send it to me, if, if, uh, I get some of those, maybe we'll do like a, an online, I don't know. I don't like getting competitive, but some sort of a contest or, you know, we'll have votes. I'll whatever. I'll do something online and, People can choose, and and uh, we'll see if we can get Shore Designs to do some T-shirts, and we'll get a thing going here. Speaking of community projects uh, put together with this podcast, the tangentially reading book is so beautiful, and I just Dan Carlin just tweeted about it on uh, Twitter, which is where one tweets, of course. And uh, he was really happy with the art and everybody, all the um, guests that I've sent it to have really been complimentary about Adam McDade's work on the art and the layout of the the book and the work by Misfit and everybody and the transcribers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So it's been a, a really great success. And I just... Looked at the Amazon site and saw their like 32 reviews, super kind reviews. So thank you to to everyone who did a review. If you frequent Amazon and you want to write a review, if you've seen the book and you're happy with it, that would be great. It's always nice to, you know, encourage other people to buy it. I mean, it's partly for so you can give it to someone who doesn't listen to podcasts and say, hey, look, this is one of the things I like about podcasts. You'll see these are crazy conversations here. People talking about all sorts of stuff, uh, ranging from the serious to the absurd. Um, It's also good for people who've already listened to the podcast. Uh, You know, if you already listened to it, you might put this in the bathroom and just pick it up and like, oh, yeah, I remember that conversation. There's something uh, nice about that. And it's broken up into small little chunks. It's not something you have to work at reading. It's very easily, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, I don't know, chicken McNuggets for the brain, something like that. All right. What else do I have to say? I'm going to save more of this yammering for uh aroma that I intend to do hopefully this week or in the next few days. It's kind of a busy time around here. I'm working hard. Trying to do the final pass through on civilized to death, it's come together quite nicely, I have to say. I've dragged my feet on this, as you know, um, largely just because I have so much else going on, and you know, I like to travel, and you know, it's funny to write a book that is essentially arguing against some of the main tenets of civilization, and one of the central one. Uh, one, one of the central tenets of civilization is this idea that work confers dignity and, you know, getting ahead is a good thing and accumulating resources is where it's at. And if you don't believe in that stuff, as I don't, and you're even, you know, sort of dedicating a big part of your life to puncturing those, those um balloon isn't the right way those 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 fabricated those even myths uh, about what makes life worth living if you don't believe that stuff then it's kind of hard to get motivated to do things like that you know what i mean i've spent the last 30 years saying well you know the truly happy person is the person who's hanging out with their friends having a good time you know, looking into fires at night, lying in a hammock, taking a nap in the afternoon, eating good food, listening to good music. I mean, those are the things that we all want to be doing, right? And so it's hard for me to take myself away from doing those things in order to, what, try to get more fame, more money, more power, more more what? More food, more music, more pleasure, You can only handle so much of that stuff. And um, enough is better than too much. So, yeah. Anyway, that's why it's taken me a while to get to finish this thing. But I'm almost finished with it. Um, Speaking of getting more famous, I'm going on Joe Rogan's podcast tomorrow, Tuesday. I'll release this uh, Monday afternoon. Um. What is it? The 3rd? I think today's the 2nd of April. So for those of you who are not listening to this within hours of its release, which probably will be most of you, uh, I was on Joe Rogan's podcast on Tuesday, the 3rd of April. No idea what we'll talk about. It's a strange thing that Joe Rogan podcast experience, I have to say. I've probably been on his show I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 times by now, including the ones we did with, uh, with Duncan. Um, but it's, uh, it's always sort of enigmatic because on the one hand, Joe's a friend and I like him. I like hanging out with him. He's smart. He's funny. He's quirky. You know, (laughs) the second time I've used that word quirky today. Uh, he's, um, authentic. He's a real guy. And yet, uh eighty percent of the time I've spent with him has been in his studio on his podcast, and so it's this weird kind of public private thing um I guess it's like if if you have a you know you have a lover, a beautiful lover that um is very busy and you can only see her occasionally and she's a porn star and you get together and you have sex, but it's always on camera. I think that's kind of what it's like. It's like we have these private moments in front of his massive audience, which is very strange. Um, not to equate Joe with a porn star. He probably wouldn't love that equation, especially as a female porn star. But I think you get what I mean. So it's it's just weird. It's it's interesting and, and great. I really enjoy it. And it, of course, um, brings more audience to this podcast, which I love, um, probably 90% of which turn around and say, fuck that guy and, you know, go back and to whatever they were doing before. But some of them stick around. Some of you stick around. A lot of you uh, probably heard about me and my goings-on uh, from Joe Rogan. So it's it's uh, it's really wonderful and, and cool. But it is a weird public-private conundrum. So, you know, similarly, it's like, Somebody wrote to me and they were like, oh, you're going to be on Rogan. You know, what what are you preparing? I, I don't prepare anything. What what do you prepare? You're going to go hang out with a buddy. You, you don't like take notes. I, I don't know. Maybe I should prepare. I guess, you know, he's got a million listeners. I should prepare. But that seems counterintuitive somehow. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, other things I, I have on my list in front of me here to talk about with you are my first prostate exam, which was a very interesting experience. Uh, some of the controversy going on with uh, racial science and IQ differences, and and I see Sam Harris and Andrew Sullivan and um, Ezra Klein and other people are sort of involved in a an online. Uh, brouhaha about those issues and I've been thinking about them a bit and I'll probably uh, I'll opine a little bit on that and uh, also I've been watching Wild Wild Country in fact we just watched Cassie and I watched all six episodes in two nights we binge watched it if you haven't seen that it's on Netflix it's a documentary about Osho also known as um, Rajneesh uh, the Sannyasins and the, um, their brief foray into Oregon they were four years I think in rural uh, Oregon where they set up a community and uh, then they ran into some controversy and some conflict with local people and the state government and it's a very interesting uh, documentary highly recommended it's called wild wild country and if anyone listening to this was or is a sadyasin And is located on the West Coast and is willing to talk about their experience. I'd love to get together. Uh, I have a good buddy, Viram, who's a sannyasin. He wasn't in Oregon. He was uh, in Pune for, I think, I don't know, a dozen years, maybe 20 years. There's a two in there. I'm not sure if it's 12 or 20. Um, But he and I've spoken about it a bit. We didn't talk about it on the podcast. Uh, We may in the future, but. If if anyone on the West Coast is willing to share their experiences there, I'd be interested in getting together for a conversation. Anyway, the rest of that, the prostate, the race science, and all that, I'm gonna say for aroma, which as I said, I'll do in the next few days, and that will be available to Patreon subscribers. I don't um, I don't have tiers. I don't like you have to give five bucks a month or ten bucks a month to get access to this or that. It's just if you're on Patreon. Uh, there it is and if you're not then then you can't access it because I put them up on Patreon server Um, but as little as a dollar a month you get access to all that stuff so uh, mainly I'm just trying to get people uh, activated organized because when you sign up for Patreon then I get your email address and you know I have a mailing list which I haven't gotten around to, to using in probably four or five months. So, <laughs> believe me, I'm not going to bother you with frequent emails. Um, but it's just good to have access if something goes wrong, if I get kicked off the server, if you know the FBI comes and shuts me down or something, at least I have e- emails where I can say, okay, now I'm over here. I'll, whatever. Um, that's it. All right. I'm going to stop talking now. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Will Forbes. There are some great episodes coming up in the future, by the way, that I've already recorded. Uh, this amazing snake guy, John Porter, that I met in southern Arizona. spent 50 years studying rattlesnakes. He and I sat in the campsite and talked about snakes. Uh, guy's been bit 15 times by rattlesnakes. So that's if you're into quirky. Again, I use that word quirky. I got to stop that um uh unusual interesting fascinating characters john is certainly one of them uh, another guy um uh peter oh, what's his name now i forgot his last name he he's the first person to write about ayahuasca in the western press amazon explorer really interesting guy that's coming up uh oh alexandra snow dominatrix that's coming up wednesday martin best-selling author really interesting woman anyway those are all coming up soon and uh i'm gonna shut the hell up now and leave you with will Forbes on the ukulele playing an original little blues number he just came up with on the spot hope you enjoy this thanks for listening and i will catch you soon and gentlemen i am sitting on a porch in san diego with a guy named will Forbes, indeed also known as Forbes the mighty i believe <laughs> who i came across you i don't even know how the hell it happened man it was maybe 15 years ago
1: yeah something like that
0: um maybe i was doing research on penises for sex at dawn and that brought up my so-called penis right somehow <laughs> i, I, I <laughs> Not literally, but uh, yeah figuratively, <laughs> so well, do you still is it an active blog
1: you still well it? I am um, I kind of changed it to just call it the will Forbes blog because um back then it was much more acerbic and funny and uh, you know saucy, let's say, yeah, and then I kind of got into a phase of just being a little more serious, and I, I would have been happy to keep the name, my so called penis, but it just felt a little weird to have these, you know, semi-serious articles and discussions of philosophy, et and then And then it's called My So-Called Penis. And I just felt people would be like, wait a second, what's going on here? Is this, you know, some kind of... Some kind of penis block? You know, Russian
0: trolls or something like that. Right. Yeah. That's a shame. That's, that's one of the tragedies of the age we live in, that we have to sort of police ourselves in those ways.
1: It is true that the internet has certainly made us very, like, conscious of this kind of, like, you've got to be, at least in each of your presentations of yourself, you've got to be, like, you've got to have this narrow thing, right? Where you say, like, well, I got a blog, and it's all about surf wax, and that's all I'm going to talk about. Right. And I can't talk about my other love for teddy bears or whatever. Yeah. And, I mean, that's certainly the advice you see in all this stuff. And, I, I mean, I think there's some truth to that now even that said I mean I'm still pretty I mean in my writing and my blog which actually is I've been negligent about updating the blog but but as far as all that stuff I mean I cover a pretty wide range of topics and I I guess it kind of feel like it has hurt me a bit in terms of gaining an audience
0: well that I mean that's what attracted me to it what you know I I don't remember what the first piece I read was, but it was funny and smart, and it was like a serious sort of uh, philosophical examination of some issue wrapped up at the end with a really funny throwaway line, and I I like that sensibility, you know, yeah. and it resonates for me, and so I kept coming back to it, and I read your blog uh, well, I had an RSS reader, you oh, know? Oh, yeah, right. So I had it plugged in there, so I would get all the updates automatically. I haven't looked at that RSS feed thing for years now, probably. Because um, blogs are sort of, like, seems like the the age of the blog has passed.
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly there was that period in, like, the late 90s and... In the Iraq War and all that, yeah. and it was all about blogs. Yeah. That's that's true, and that's really when they came to fruition and everything. And and now yeah. it's a little. I mean, I guess part of it is like everyone's got a Facebook page, right? And you can kind of spit out these mini blogs there, yeah, and tweeting and all that. But I, I mean, I think it's also just back then it was like oh here's somebody talking about their their thing or their spiel that's interesting you know some some person i'm not familiar with who's not an established writer that's interesting and now everyone's screaming at you with their opinion on everything and it's like who cares yeah exactly it's saturated (laughs)
0: Yeah, but I followed you for a long time and I, re- I really enjoyed it. And uh, I always thought, man, when I'm in California, I should check that guy out. And this was, you know, 2004, 2005. Okay, yeah, well, it took a while to get to it. You know, but I, here we are. That's true. Uh, yeah. We're still alive. I hope it was worth the wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, the wait was easy, so no <laughs> okay. pressure. No pressure. Um, yeah, you know, you're talking about that, that pressure to. Um, Sort of narrow the approach. People often—that's the advice I get about this podcast too. Okay, like, right. It's much easier to get an audience if you have a podcast about something specific. Yeah, right. And then people are like, "Oh, you know, you want to, you want to learn about, you know, floating rubber ducks? Like, here's the podcast about <laughs> that." And I, but I just don't. That's not the way I approach life. I don't want it. I don't want my life to be that way. Right. I right. don't want anything I do to be that way. I like to pull shit in from all over the place.
1: And it just seems like there's bound to be kind of a shelf life with any project like that, because there's only so much you can talk about with floating rubber ducks or whatever russian American relations or something. Yeah. It's just kind of yeah to put that limit on it just seems like it's bound to get boring you know and and you know you're going to lose your audience eventually because they're just you're yeah. saying the same things over and over.
0: Well, I think it's kind of like it's a fast food approach to media. You know, it's like McDonald's. You know what you're going to get. It's always the same. Any day you tune in, you're going to get the same message, the same kind of conversation. I don't know why that would be attractive to people. But I guess maybe people who are raised with that sort of predictability. Yeah, you know, and they're like, oh, wait, I thought Chris talked about sex. And here he is talking to this dude on his porch (laughs) about, you know, I'm out of here or whatever. (laughs) Like, yeah, I'm not into that. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry, folks. We're definitely a generalist podcast here. <laughs> right. It's a grab bag.
1: I mean, I think, um, like, if you have a professional career, then it's very understandable that you gravitate towards, like, websites and whatever media that, that kind of addresses a specific thing, because mm-hmm. that's what you're trying to, you know, uh, you know, harness in your career or whatever. And maybe that mindset then just comes over to people's personal lives, and, you know, they go for blogs or whatever that are very specifically focused uh, you know
0: yeah yeah i don't know i i like i like shit that surprises me uh you know books or movies or whatever i i like to to end up in a place i didn't know i was gonna go i mean travel that's the best thing about travel for me is when you wake up thinking you're going to be in a certain place that evening and then you find out you're somewhere totally different with people you didn't know 12 hours ago. And and that unpredictability is what makes it all worthwhile.
1: Yeah, yeah. that, That does sort of remind me, like me and my girlfriend were, not too long ago, we were in Morocco. We were in Tangier for just like, half a day because it was this kind of thing where like the only way we could do it was just ferrying in the morning and then like at three in the afternoon we had to get out to get Mm -hmm. back to you know the the hotel and everything and so we're kind of there and just walking around and 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 i've been to a number of moroccan cities and this was actually probably my least favorite (laughs) tangier but um it was a little like, okay, so this, you know, why are we here? What's the point of this? And we kind of just, this guy started talking to us, and he was a, uh, I don't think he was actually Moroccan. I think he was a Saudi, but he was, you know, he would lived in Morocco for years. And then all of a sudden, he's like taking us through the, uh, you know, those labyrinthian kind of corridors of the uh, oh. uh, places where you, you buy things, like the bazaar and everything, yeah. and um, taking us to tea and all this stuff. And um, it was just kind of, as I look back on that trip, it was sort of like, well, that was not my favorite Moroccan city, but actually we had a great time and all yeah. of it in the space of, you know, like seven hours or something right. like
0: that. Right. And I think and that's a skill. Being open to that sort of thing requires uh, like a turning down of those expectations of what you're, what it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. I always, I always think about the difference between travelers and tourists is that. One of the differences is that tourists count down, so they're like, "I've got two weeks," so mm. it's like, you know, we're here, we got till next Thursday, and they're counting down. Whereas when I was traveling a lot, I was counting up. Like I've been out nine months, oh, cool. ten months, and you know, it's like I had a limited amount of money, but not time. I was, right. I could just. As long as the money lasted, I could keep going. So
1: you're counting down on the money, but... Uh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but you can slow but who, that Who down. doesn't? You yeah. can't slow down time, you right, know? Right, but right. But you can definitely, like, find a good spot and s- just sit there for a few weeks and spend almost nothing. You've been to India?
1: I have not. My brother and my niece went there, um, and I think it was either not long after they went or not long before was that whole terrorist attack like this was 2009 or something
0: Mm. or 10 oh in Bombay
1: yeah and they were like uh, I don't think they were in that hotel but they were nearby but yeah so I I have not no
0: yeah it's uh, my first sort of really exotic crazy trip was to India and I found got to this place called Pushkar and I just sat there for two months oh nice it was wonderful It's, it's an amazing place um, but yeah, so so what? Here is what I know about you: You are smart. You are funny. Wow. You are a musician. You are a very good writer, and you live in San Diego. That's pretty much it. Well,
1: that's all the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I am not sure how true any of that is either, but you know, sure, I'll,
0: I'll, I'll go with it. So you you're, you play stringed instruments. I see ukuleles sitting around.
1: That's true. I, yeah, play play guitar and ukulele. Is it yeah. like
0: mainly blues?
1: What's your um. I Well, I do a lot now with my girlfriend. Um, we have a project that I should shout out called Birdie in the Bowtie. And there is a birdieinthebowtie.com. And we do mostly like early jazz. Mm. So uh, the kind of music that say Louis Armstrong or f- I'm going to say Fred Astaire, even though he wasn't really a mm. singer. But, you know, the kind of music that be featured in his songs mm. uh, or in his movies. So I don't know. Stuff from the 20s to 40s. Right.
0: What is it about that period that appeals to you?
1: Um, well, I mean, it's a weird thing. I kind of just sort of f- fell into it in a little bit, or, or to some degree. It wasn't like I was 20 years old and I was listening to Louis Armstrong or, uh, uh, you know, I'm just blanking okay, on Gen- any other... Django Reinhardt? Yeah, okay, Jango or... Reinhardt's definitely related to that. He's maybe a little a hipper little, nowadays. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it wasn't like I was in love with that music, um... I mean, when I was in L.A., I was in L.A. for a number of years, and I was playing with a woman there who uh, unfortunately passed away not too long ago. But Her name was Daphne, and she she was kind of into that stuff. I mean, she wasn't full-on into only that, but she had a bit of that flavor to what she did. So that kind of got me—that got my feet in the water there. And then really, um, I just— You know, I've always been into jazz in general, but more modern stuff. Mm. And I just, you know, I ended up with my girlfriend, and she was a big fan of it, and is a big fan of it. And so we kind of started up this duo. And um, that's sort of how I got introduced to it. I mean, as far as what I like about it, I mean, I definitely think lyrically, it's really just... um, They're just such elegantly constructed lyrics you mm. know it, it's very uh, very i don't know if literate is quite the word but it's just really you know great turns of phrase mm. that sort of thing and that's true mm. really from like you know the super posh white stuff to even the you know the, the kind of down in the gutter black artists of the time or whatever or L- writers billy holiday
0: considered in this area
1: yeah she'd be kind of like towards the the later end but i mean a lot of those artists like Nick and cole would be another one you know they were doing songs that had been around for 23 years mm. so um it's almost like well how do you do it you know do you play it the billy holiday style or right. the earlier style or whatever
0: right kind of like elvis yeah i mean I, but in a sense going the other way i mean elvis is the white dude playing black music so it was Billie Holiday and Nat King Cole, were they doing songs that were originally written by white Jewish singer-songwriters?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's certainly a lot of that. Um, I remember like Nat King Cole's got a great one of... Uh you know what was it when my baby walks down the street, all the little birdies go tweet tweet tweet. Mm. So that that's probably that sounds like a Jewish
0: writer right there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I could be wrong. But you know,
0: cultural appropriation. Yeah. You black people stealing all the Jewish music. <laughs> right. Well, we've all been stealing yeah. the Jewish music. I know. I know. It's that that whole cultural appropriation thing makes very little sense to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, it does seem like i just think most of the time it's like a person honestly listening to something saying wow i love that you know that's great i want to do that yeah and if it's just suddenly you can't touch the stuff because of you know whatever i mean let's all crawl into a little box and you know never come out or something
0: yeah you'd have no world music you'd have no peter gabriel i I mean i remember when paul simon got a bunch of shit for his uh graceland album right you know which brought you know the south african music to the world's attention and the south african musicians were like w- why are you angry we're so happy we're on tour with paul fucking simon you know right and like you you american black people are angry on our behalf and we're not angry it's like uh, it makes no sense yeah I, yeah I i've been reading keith richards autobiography oh i listened to that this summer in the van oh okay yeah, yeah. and
1: and he kind of at least where i am you know he touches a little bit on that in so much as you know they were these British guys in 1963 or whatever, and they're they're doing the blues and they're heavily into the blues. Yeah, and I mean he says that at the time really their expectation was just to become a big band in London, and then things blow up, and then of course resulting from that is that you know guys like Muddy Waters are now you know touring or you know they come over to England and 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 their careers blow up because yeah. people sort of say oh well where does this come from? Right. I mean I you know I I, I get. Some of the point there, which is that, yeah, I mean, if you're into the blues, why not just listen to, Mo- to Muddy Waters and, and skip the Rolling Stones? But, you know, it's just sort of like, well, that's not the way the world worked right. or works now. And, right. you know, if you have to choose from available solutions, this is probably better than like yeah. Muddy Waters dies in obscurity.
0: Right. And certainly I can understand, you know, if we're talking about white producers who are um exploiting black musicians taking all their money and playing yeah. these financial games with them or something like college football or college athletics in general is you know white people and white ruling institutions exploiting the you know the t- talent and and ignorance in many cases of the young black athletes that's bullshit yeah. no doubt no doubt but yeah, Keith Richards saying, I love the blues and I just want to play it and getting famous. I understand that the people could say, well, that, okay, Elvis was big because that was a white guy. Right. And those white and that's people. that's certainly true. And it's yeah. true. It is true. But, but I think it's uh, a necessary step toward a greater integration to bring that music to the attention of everybody, however it gets there. Yeah. 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 The first concert I ever went to, I was like eight years old and my dad took me to see B.B. King. Okay. Yeah, in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. Hm. That was that was a while ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what was the first concert you saw?
1: Uh, you know, I was just talking to someone about that. I mean, I guess I would say The Dead Milkmen if you're going to say the, huh. you know, big concert. I mean, you're familiar with them. No, oh, okay. No. So maybe maybe they're not that big, but um yeah, they they were like a, you know, pretty national punk rock group in like 1980 in the late 80s early uh, 90s yeah. but i guess some um, if i was to say maybe a little more recognizable probably the ch- i want to say the chili peppers but i know i also saw metallica around that time so i'm not mm. sure which was first but you know something yeah. like
0: that did you see them before they had really blown up
1: the chili peppers yeah. Well, they were in Hawaii, which is where I grew up, so they weren't completely obscure. But, um, yeah, right. It was certainly before that whole Give It Away Now album and all that stuff. And
0: I think they had the original guitar
1: player at that time who who later died of heroin.
0: Yeah. Well, Mickey Avalon, who I was talking to this morning, opened for them on a European tour. Trippy, yeah. Yeah, he was telling me the story about how he got booed (laughs) in (laughs) Holland uh, they were playing a show in Amsterdam, and uh, the the producer or the manager said before he went out, he's like, "Hey, don't don't worry about it. Everybody gets booed. Everybody who opens <laughs> for us gets booed." It's you know, and he was doing his set, and like you know, he had one or two songs left to do, and he and he wasn't getting booed. And he made the mistake of saying something about, like, hey, it's great. You guys aren't booing me. (laughs) And then it started. Uh, Okay. And people were throwing fruit on the stage. Wow. (laughs) It's crazy.
1: Yeah, I like, uh, as I said earlier, I like Mickey Avalon. And and he's kind of, uh, I mean, I sort of just randomly discovered it on YouTube somehow. It's not like I'm really in touch with the modern music scene at all yeah but um and it's not even really something i would expect to like like if you described it on paper but yeah he's just uh has got a certain something
0: yeah he's a really nice guy too and an extremely talented painter oh really he was showing me some of his paintings are extraordinary very uh like egon sheila oh, yeah. kind of yeah. style i i know i know Schiel. I i am yeah used
1: one of his paintings as some cover art or something for a blog post once Uh, so it's by
0: stealing his art that i'm familiar with him yeah that's see there you go again (laughs) that that cultural appropriation (laughs) right um so you're you're uh would you consider yourself mainly a musician or what's your how do you when you meet someone at a party and they're like so who are you what do you say yeah well i never go to parties anymore so
2: (laughs) and that's why i've sidestepped the question yeah um (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah, that's a. So
0: yeah. what should I put on the on the right. podcast mm-hmm. thing? It'll be Will Forbes, and then in parentheses, uh, some guy I know. Yeah, or, how about uh, ruminator <laughs> ruminant. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> how many stomachs um, do you have? <laughs> uh, I mean, I I start to wonder. Yeah. Ruminator.
1: Um, I I mean, I guess I don't really. Uh,
0: just sit around. Have and to think? think about that
1: too much. That's good. Um, I um. I mean, I've made more money with music, certainly, than writing, which Uh is like basically zero. So it it was easy as far as that goes. It's an easy bar to cross. I haven't made that much money with music, but, you know. So, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like we were saying, you know, why put yourself in a box?
0: Yeah, exactly. But it's a real accomplishment. I don't know how old you are, but it's an accomplishment to reach adulthood without succumbing to that. Because there's so many pressures.
1: Well, I'm 46, but I haven't yet reached adulthood.
0: Yeah, yeah, good. Well, I'm 10 years past you, and I haven't found okay. it either. All right. So. Well, you're paving the road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the road to nowhere, man. <laughs> the long and winding road. So you grew up in Hawaii. Are you native Hawaiian at all? Or not, not, white, not in the least. White no. Hawaiian.
1: I'm yeah, you know, what they call a howley in, in Hawaii, usually when they're screaming at you and chasing you. Hmm. Um, but, no, I am... Basically, my mom was... She had gone to graduate school there before I was born, and, uh, you know, my parents split up at some point, and, and they... And she, so she sort of said, Well, let's go back to Hawaii. Mm. And that, that's how I ended up there. And
0: when did you leave? How old were you? I was 18. Uh, so, I, you know, I was there from, like, 5 to 18. Right. And did you leave just because it was too restricted, too small?
1: Yeah, I mean, just kind of... You just kind of do that there, you know, unless you're really, you know, really local or, you know, just got really long family roots there or something like that. I just kind of always assumed that I would leave at that age, and and so I did. You know, you just kind of want to see the world and that kind of stuff.
0: Is it a place you think you would ever go back to live?
1: Yeah, I've I've thought a little bit about that. I mean, I I definitely like it, and I am, I was back there a couple years ago, actually, um, and I was sort of, I hadn't been back in maybe five or six years or something. And it's true. Like when you go back there from the mainland, when you go back to Hawaii, you're definitely struck by like how totally different it is from any other place in the United States. Um, Because it's just got its own culture, which is this mishmash of, you know, Hawaiian and Samoan and Portuguese and Asian and all that. um, So it definitely has this, you know, really unique thing that, that like I said, no other place has I think the only thing that would probably really stop me from going back there is that the cost of living is extremely high, Uh and um, so it's just, you know, I think right now there's kind of a big exodus from Hawaii, because it just, it wasn't cheap to begin with, and it's only Mm -hmm. getting worse.
0: So a lot of Japanese money came in, did that push it up? Uh, Yeah, that's probably a big part of it, because
1: I do know that um, there's a lot of condominiums going up, um, like... I mean, I'll just say this for people that are familiar with Hawaii. It's kind of like, you know, there's sort of Waikiki, and then you move along the coast towards Ala Moana, which is a shopping mall, and area, and then you keep going. And that area, when I was a kid, was, um, you know, fairly bereft of really, of of any noticeable buildings. And I've gone back now, and and it's, you know, it's it's like this stream of these... um, these giant uh, skyscrapers. And yeah, that's probably, probably, you know, wealthy Japanese are driving mm. that as well as maybe wealthy Howleys and, you know, I don't yeah. know, wealthy people in general.
0: Yeah, probably the retirement of the baby boomer generation is having interesting effects on real estate. as Yeah, they, yeah. Know, sell their house wherever they've been working and move to a place like Hawaii that's bringing pressure.
1: Right? Yeah. I mean, that's it's screwing up for all of us.
0: Yeah, although we can you know, like, like always we sort of I mean, I consider myself part of the sort of I mean I'm not gay but the the the, the gay artist sort of vanguard that moves into Soho in the sixties mm, right, right, or right. the East Village in the eighties yeah. or Barcelona in the late eighties. Like the you know, it's like if I were trying to make money I'd be like watching where gay people go and oh, then you right. know, buy it up because they you know, they just sort of seem to uh, gravitate toward underpriced, yeah, uh, real estate. And well, this
1: is a gay neighborhood right here, so there you uh, go. Uh, yeah.
0: There you go. I like, mean, do you own this place? No, no. Unfortunately, <laughs> gotta buy it. You're probably too late, though. Y- yeah, <laughs> I am. That,
1: that ship has sailed. I think. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, but our, our our landlady,
0: I guess, is going to do all right, or, or is doing all right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, that means she's got to raise your prices, though.
1: Uh, let's. I'm Keep, glad she doesn't listen to podcasts. I'll we'll edit that out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So uh, what else have you written besides your blog? You ever read any books or anything? Well... I, I remember you were... Pre- weren't you promoting a book at some point? Yeah,
1: so I had yeah. a... Um, a book
0: called Acid Logic. Acid Logic. That's right. Which yeah. is based
1: on the website Acid Logic, of course at AcidLogic.com. And is that LSD acid? Well, yeah. So it's um, it was kind of a double entendre, I guess, in the sense that it was, yeah, it was partly a reference to the idea that when you're on acid, you have these, you know, quote unquote, logical conceptualizations that of course are completely illogical you realize you know a day later or something but you know it's just kind of that classic like uh, you know you know bill cosby and the yosemite forest it's all connected man you know that kind of thing (laughs) so it was kind of an idea of like you know you you can expect that kind Uh, of writing here or that kind of train of thought uh, but it was also that you know there's the idea of an acidic wit or, yeah. th- you know, acidic comments, right. you know, kind of cutting kind
0: of, um, yeah. Reduce know, it to its essentials.
1: Yeah. Well, more, more insulting
0: really. Insulting. But, I yeah. see. Okay. More or acidic. at
1: least just, you know, um, willing to kind of, you know, talk nasty.
0: See, it's funny cause when, when I first read the phrase acid logic, I immediately took it. I, I sort of went halfway to where you went and then I took the other exit, which was, the logic that that is revealed with psychedelics and then you said "Then the next day you realize it's all ridiculous and i'm like no <laughs> i don't realize it's ridiculous. Yeah. i think it's a superior cognitive process in many cases well
1: i think it's definitely really fascinating and yeah i mean in, in fairness i don't think that like time spent on acid is a big waste i think it's total quality time you know i mean it's, yeah. it's if,
0: if done right yeah
1: course. yeah uh, um uh, but, you know, I don't know. I, I think some of the time, I mean, some of the time it really does seem like you've got these random firing neurons and they just kind of connect stuff that, you know, logically speaking, doesn't have much yeah. relevance to itself yeah. or to, to the two things. Um, but, yeah, sometimes you really do get these insights that, um, that, that are, are profound and, you know, wonderful.
0: Lasting. Yeah. Have you ever done the, uh, what is it, uh, Dark Side of the Moon and The Wizard of Oz? Right. Um, I I have, not I've heard of that. And, yeah, that's, that's a perfect
1: example <laughs> of that kind of thing, where you just find these connections, even though they certainly weren't designed to be there, one presumes. One
0: presumes. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I, I think Pink Floyd, no one's ever really commented on it explicitly.
1: I have a hard time seeing Roger Waters as a... You know, a sprightly kind of uh, jokester of that sort. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: true. He's the, he, he is a jokester, though. I mean, you know, he he was the tune, Careful With That Axe, Eugene. But
1: that's, I think that's before him, right? That's, um, was that or, Sid, I don't know. Sid, was that, uh, I think Barrett that's Sid. Still? Yeah, yeah it's,
0: it's hard to keep it straight. Yeah, that was, uh, I think it was the last record, Uma Guma, it was the last record that he was still on. I don't know to what extent he was present yeah um but yeah yeah Yeah, that's
1: an interesting band in that it really it's just like two bands that happen to share some members but Mm. their whole like philosophical approach you know the sid versus roger waters thing is just like and and really it's three bands because then you have david gilmore takes over right you know and and then there's there's that for 20 years
0: yeah yeah although nobody really knows any of the music from those years I,
1: i like uh what was the at least the first one he did or the momentary lapse of reason yeah there are
0: some good songs on there learning to fly yeah right 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 yeah but very different from roger waters i mean you know roger waters for me is really he's the guy
1: yeah david
0: gilmore's such a great guitarist no doubt about that right but
1: yeah he definitely i mean if you think of the classic songs of that band um roger waters would own most of them yeah yeah Uh, The Wall.
0: Yeah. uh, And and that The Wall was about his family, but also about Sid Sid, uh, Barrett's family, I believe. His father was killed Uh, in the war. Yeah. Yeah. And Wish You Were Here is is really written to Sid Barrett. Right, right. Yeah. Animals, who knows what the fuck. I guess that's about Orwell. (laughs) Or Flying Pigs. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, he he did this album, Radio Chaos, Roger Waters did, that was a solo album. So, you know, Mm. no Floyd. I'm trying to remember who he had playing guitar on it i think it was um it's this guy that plays like clapton but isn't clapton and a few other people but i thought it was a terrific album and it's also it's another concept album and you know i, I can't remember it's like a a sort of a, a guy in a wheelchair who somehow taps into the radio transmissions and almost causes world war three i think is yeah. the general plot but um I, I thought it was great, and um I, I guess Roger Waters himself has kind of um, I guess derided it or tried to distance himself. should I this is a way for this truck to go by? Um, which you know I thought was kind of a mistake, but uh, yeah it's
0: it's it's his legacy. Well, I guess there was some bad blood um, because Gilmore toured as Pink Floyd.
1: Yeah, I think it goes even before that. Oh, really? Um yeah. I, I think they kind of hated each other around, like maybe a, right after the wall. Or I, I you know, I, I wrote about this once because I mm-hmm. wrote a thing on Radio Chaos, and um, yeah, there was. I can't really remember what the, you know, what the actual argument was. I think it may just be that Roger Waters is kind of like a pompous ass. You know, as great as a you know creator as he might be. Yeah. And um, so there was. You know, I think they just got sick of each other, and then things kind of fell apart.
0: Yeah, what my buddy Simon calls LSD, lead singer disease.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I've I've heard that term. Well, you know, in the Keith Richards book, it's like you can you can feel it coming <laughs> There's up. A lot. Of
0: it. <laughs> There's a lot of that energy. Yeah, yeah. Although they were also, I mean, there was there were issues of women right you know right. Th- there were some concrete things going on yeah it's funny in that book um you know i won't ruin there's no it's not a novel well, so yeah, gonna we, ruin know, we don't know how it ends <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um but it was interesting because he's very um you know he's very uh sort of dismissive of mick like being you know having sort of taken over the band mm-hmm. in his absence his absence being you know, 20 years of being smacked out of uh, his head okay. all the time right, right? right. And like going off to the bathroom while the band's sitting in the studio waiting for him to come up with a lick. Right. He comes back with you know the the main lick to you know bitch or can't you see me running or right, whatever? Can't right. you yeah. hear me? Knocking. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, knocking exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he comes back with amazing shit, but meanwhile there's this you know twenty thousand dollar an hour studio and right. and the Rolling Stones sitting there doing nothing. Right. But it was funny because that seemed to be like the the main his main grape but like of course he mick took over the band you were gone for 20 years dude you know like yeah it's it's a funny and mick i don't know mick mick's got to be a challenge to be around too at this point
1: i mean you read these things and you never really know what the truth is because obviously when keith richards tells the story you know it's going to sound great from for keith sure. richards you yeah. know yeah um i mean it's i was just reading because i've been on this like um, sort of bout of reading rock biographies and I am—I um, I was reading one recently where I kind of was just thinking like oh he's really sort of painting himself to be the asshole and I can't remember if it was, it was Sammy Hagar or Steven Tyler but mm. one of those guys kind of like let a little honesty kind of slip through where, where you're sort of like yeah I kind of see why everyone hated you you mm. know I mean I guess it was Steven Tyler because I don't think anyone well I mean the Van Halen brothers might hate Sammy Hagar but um so I, I don't know. I think when you get, yeah. you know, you're in a rock band and, and you're a lead singer and all that stuff, it's just,
0: everyone's going to have their heads so far up their ass and everything. Yeah. that. Uh, yeah, especially when you hit that big. Yeah. Have you read uh, the Bruce Springsteen autobiography?
1: You know, I haven't. I am, I'm not a super big Springsteen fan. It's not that I really dislike him. I'm just not that familiar with them other than you're the hits into, and that like sort of
0: Cars in New Jersey?
1: Um, no, I mean,
0: yeah, yeah no I'm not either I, I like older some of the older stuff, like when he's depressed. um, I just read a review of something just recently in The New Yorker. It was about Bruce, and the guy was was Hilton Als, I think who wrote it, okay, and he was talking about how he never could get into Bruce Springsteen and always regarded him with suspicion. <laughs> you know as this like cuz his accent wasn't really new jersey it was more like a oh. midwestern and you know the whole leather and the bandanas and the you know america kind of like it just seemed like such a calculated image to capture this commercial sort of swath of america you know okay and um and also he was he said he was very suspicious of um uh, what was his name? The 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 big black dude. Oh, uh, Clarence sax. Clements Clarence yeah. Clements. Oh, Like, what, so, what is this? One black guy in the band? Is he being used to sort of give him some street cred, or you know, what's going on there? Anyway, so he talks about he just like the whole Springsteen thing was like, yeah, whatever. I'm not into it. And then he saw Philadelphia, the Bruce uh, Jonathan Demi film, the movie, yeah, right, yeah. with the Denzel Washington, right, and yeah, and uh, Tom Hanks, yeah, yeah. or, or
1: yeah, that's right. It was Tom Hanks. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. And, um, and he heard the the song Philadelphia by Springsteen. Right. I remember that. And he said, I, I don't know if the author is gay or I don't even know if he's gay. I assume he's gay and black, given that those were the two things he I, sort of. I, I know he's black. Oh, okay. Males, but, okay. yeah. Um Anyway, he he just said like I heard that song and I realized like w- w- this no, this guy's for real. Uh, okay. Like you can't write that song cuz he said when I heard that song, I anyone who's lost people in AIDS knew felt that he was speaking for us. Like that captured so perfectly what we were going through and like he he just like it opened all these doors to Bruce Springsteen at that point for him.
1: Huh. All right. Well, maybe I should
0: yeah, pick up pretty, some of the stuff. It was a really beautifully written piece because um, I felt that too. Like I'm not into like fucking cars and you know the the working class. I mean I I don't pretend that that's where I come from. You know.
1: Yeah, I, I mean there's plenty of artists like that that I like. So that's not really what would stop me getting into Springsteen. Um, I, I you know I don't know. It's just everyone's kind of got these gaps in their music listening you know yeah. experience and and mine is Springsteen. well you mentioned others.
0: The, the dead milkman earlier the reason i don't know anything about that, but for i didn't follow punk at all but i was like out of the western world like from the mid 80s oh. till you know i was in asia and wow. so i was just totally disconnected to pretty much from american culture for 20 years or something so I come back, and people are talking about TV shows and actors and, like, no idea. Right, right. Totally yeah. missed it, you know? Well,
1: that must be kind of refreshing in its
0: own way. It is. Know? It's one of the great things about living outside of, of your culture. It's like, yeah, none of this, none of what's happening here really involves me. And what <laughs> does involve me culturally is on the other side of the world. So I don't hear it unless I want to. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's, so it's very refreshing. And living here in the U.S. again, I feel harried by information. I was thinking about oh, this yeah. this morning. We were having breakfast, and these people next to us were like having this loud, stupid conversation. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about how if I had been in Spain, like I understand Spanish, but only if I pay attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, I okay. don't understand it if I'm not paying attention. So people can be talking at the next table and it's just you can me turn, me turn, me turn me. it it's out. It's like right. Charlie Brown's teacher. Yeah, you know? right. Uh unless I like unless I hear a word and like, oh, what are they saying? And then I like pay attention. But so it, it gives you this sort of uh, cocoon of oblivious of obliviousness. It's it's really relaxing. Yeah,
1: yeah, that that is interesting. I mean it's certainly interesting how you know the act of understanding a language. Well, I mean, I guess you're saying it's sort of in your control. Like you can turn it on. In At that, my in that level case.
0: with Spanish, yeah, yeah. And my wife speaks several languages, and and I see she does it as well. She'll she she has to. You know, it, it's as if you don't have peripheral vision, so you have to focus yeah, on something right, to right. see it. Okay, it's like that whereas in your native language it you just see it whether you want to look at it or yeah, not yeah
1: it comes you know? right in and you can't stop it yeah, yeah
0: yeah yeah it's weird i i miss that being back here like i didn't, i didn't want to hear their stupid <laughs> fucking conversation you know it's like commercials right it's as if it's as if It's like you're watching TV and the commercials are all muted unless you turn up the volume. Yeah, right, right, right. right. Whereas here, the commercials are fucking louder.
1: Yeah, right,
0: right, right, yeah. It's the shit you don't want that gets in the quickest. Have you ever lived overseas? Uh, Well, I did as a a kid. Um,
1: I actually lived in Iran when I was about four to five. Because my dad wrote a book about it, and that was before... Before the Shah, before the Shah fell, and everything, but you know. shortly before, right, was, right, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the story is that that I mean, me and my mom, you know, left before that was really happening. I mean, I think it was in the wind, but I mean, the the, the story as I've been told is that you know, my dad, you know, kind of got out with with you know, like barely made it out. I mean, that's I'm sure exaggerating. Was he in the State Department? No, he he was writing a book on Iran, and um, why? Well, it was it was an interesting topic. Like uh, Iranian politics? Oh uh, no, culture? just kind of the whole thing. I mean, he um he he wrote three books. Uh, well, uh, let's see, he wrote four books in his life, and one of them was uh you know there was a Time Life Wild West series, which you can still see it by garage sales, and it was you know about cowboys and that sort of thing. And he he wrote one called The Cowboys, but then he finished a book on Australia. And then I think someone's and this is in the, you know, sixties and seventies, someone said, Well, you know, you should do a book in Japan, so he did a book in Japan and then they said, Okay, you're the country guy now, so why don't you do one in Iran? Yeah. So it was kind of just like a you know, an introduction to the country as a whole. So
0: politics, history, right. all that stuff. Yeah. Interesting. so did he consider himself a travel writer? Um not <sighs>
1: I don't think so. In the sense that I think of that, I you know, to me that's sort of like here's a great resort, and when you're oh, here, you visit this volcano. Kind of yeah, thing. right. Yeah. Um, I think he was more of a, I, I don't know, a, a, a country writer, I guess, or something like that. You yeah. ever heard of
0: Jan Morris? No. Is your dad still alive? No. Uh, um, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to know if he knew of Jan Morris. Was I think she's still alive? She. Was for the um, certainly the '80s and '90s probably the best known travel writer in the world. And w- and when I say travel writer, I mean it more in the sense of what your father was doing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't check out this hotel and yeah, this waterfall is right, great. Right. It was this is what. Buenos Aires means. This is what that city's about. Okay. This is the spirit. This is the history. This is, you know, why it is an amazing place. And she wrote all, I mean, uh, just many, 20, 30 books. I don't know how many, okay. like wow. a lot of books. She's very uh, expert on Spain and and spoke many languages. Anyway, Jan Morris began life as James Morris. Uh. And was in an elite division of the the military in the UK uh, British military. Uh, I think served in World War Two, if that's possible. Okay, well that would uh, put her in my dad's uh, you know yeah. age group. And then um, James Morris was with Sir Edmund Hillary at oh, okay. base camp when Hillary came back and. Was the journalist who reported to the world that Sir Edmund Hillary had summited Mount Everest for the first time. Okay. So, very elite. I don't know if she wrote for The Guardian or, the you know, what one of the leading papers in London. And then um, she acknowledged that uh, she had always been a woman and wanted to do a sex change operation. And this was in the early 70s, I think, when they were first starting right. to do them. Right. There was a tennis player who did. Yeah.
1: Was that Billie Jean? No, King? No. no. She was
0: lesbian. She came oh, out as lesbian. Okay. <laughs> um, no, Dr. Renee Richards. I okay. think was the the first like sort of famous person who did a sex change.
1: Right. And I remember Walter and Wendy Carlos, the hmm. composer and organist. Uh, yeah. And that's around maybe 1980 or
0: so. Yeah. I mean it was still it was very rough. I mean the yeah. hormone stuff was real hard and all that. I
1: I have a friend doing that right now. Really? And uh yeah. Which direction? Uh male to female. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um yeah, anyway, so she did this, and she wrote – she didn't. She didn't, never really talked about it publicly. She didn't deny it or anything. It wasn't a secret, but she wrote a, a short book called Conundrum. <laughs> that is a conundrum. About her experience. <laughs> right. and it's a beautiful book. I think it's out of print now, but it's really beautiful. And hmm. You could see she was just like, you know, I'm going to tell the story here. I'm going to tell it once. And publicly and, you know, I'm going to tell it honestly and truly. And it's a it's just a beautiful glimpse into a very private person, you know. All right.
1: Yeah. I should check that out.
0: Yeah. She stayed married for to her her wife. They never got divorced. I think they had a couple of kids and the family stayed together. And I mean, what a journey. Yeah. And then to become a travel writer, you know, like what a shift of perspective. Yeah.
1: And I guess you would think, I mean, when you're traveling around, I mean, it depends on how convincing the conversion has been. But, you know, it, some of these places might not be that welcoming to someone who's obviously, you know, yeah, not not. Uh, Definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I saw her speak once in New York uh, at a bookstore and I arrived late. So the only empty space was like on the floor right in front of her. So I could see her five o'clock shadow. Uh, oh, know. okay. So, yeah, she was. Uh, they hadn't perfected things that yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Hey, well, you know, some some people are born women to have a five o'clock shadow. So, yeah. it's it's not necessarily that. Is your friend? Uh, I mean, is this a close friend? or you, do you? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good friend of mine. Yeah, and did, um, did you see it coming?
1: I I did not. Um. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I know I would, you know, certainly there are people, you know, that are men that are kind of feminine, let's say, and, and it doesn't mean that they're gay or anything, but just that's their thing. And that was not the case here. And, um, and I, and I have to say, I just, I just saw this person. Um, I'm going to just kind of respect their privacy and not sure. names. Yeah, of course. But um, I just saw them, uh, you know, fairly recently, and um, and we hadn't seen each other in, in a number of years, and and you know, so now it's a she and all that. But I mean, it was just it was just like it's always you know it used to be. I mean, it was mm-hmm. almost nothing really changed, and, and and you know, we fell into the same old patter, patter, you know, conversation, and, and very you know, just um, you know, there's a certain friends where like. You don't see them for 10 years and then you see them and it's like you saw them yesterday, yeah. you know where there's other people and it's like 10 years just sort of destroys the relationship. Right. Um, so but yeah, no, I, I mean, I did did not did not see that one coming.
0: Did did she seem happier? Like more aligned?
2: Um, I,
1: I I mean, I see her on Facebook a lot and I, I would say, yeah, I think there's. Yes, more happiness, but that's not to say that you know I'd exactly say things are totally settled you know yeah. there's there's still a lot of i think anger there yeah. um but um, yeah, I think it was a good thing to do and, and a good decision and all yeah. that
0: yeah man it's 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 strange I was talking to a friend of mine who's a very um you know, sort of a manly man, you mm-hmm. know, he like does jujitsu and he works out and he's got right. tattoos and he's a rough you know, that kind of guy. He's very smart mm-hmm. and a very kind person, um, but he's definitely like a dude, you know, <laughs> and uh, and I was making the point that the most if we say if we're going to say that the, a characteristic of a man is. Someone who stands up for what he is and what he believes and doesn't back down under pressure and doesn't get swayed by, you know, the opinions of strangers and all that kind of shit, which I think we kind of associate with manliness. Right. Then the most manly people I know are probably gay guys.
1: Because, because they just they don't uh, they, shy away from yeah I mean yeah, they've right. been
0: through the fucking fire you yeah, know of right. like I'm sorry this is who I am if this means I'm going to lose my friends or my right. family or my job or I'm going to get beat up by strangers I'm sorry I gotta I'm got to be true to myself yeah yeah it's yeah. kind of like a, you know a counterintuitive thing but it's like if that's manhood then fuck those dudes are men right right you know?
1: right right they they've definitely you know. Experience the harsh realities of life and that sort of thing. Well, so let me ask you a question here, because there's a lot of discussion about the idea. You know, really, like is gender, uh, you know, in the brain or in the genes or something? Well, not in the genes, but you know, is it in the brain or is it all a cultural, you know, construct or something like that?
0: Well, you know, like like so many of these things, I think it's it's both. mm -hmm. You know, it's I, I think. That a lot of, if you look cross-culturally, it's hard to talk about because even some of the words that we use that we think are meaningful, those concepts are culturally constructed. Mm -hmm. So... One example I like to use is homosexuality, right? We're like, oh, mm-hmm. that's a homosexual, that's not, or that's gay behavior or not. Right. That, even in the West, that's only about 100 years old. Like the idea that someone is a homosexual okay. as opposed to a homosexual behavior activity. Right. The idea that a person is labeled as that. Yeah. And it sort of has that identity fixed. That's a very recent thing in the Western world. But in other places like in Papua New Guinea there's a there are some tribes there that believe that semen contains the essence of masculinity.
1: Yeah, I think I remember this
0: from your book. Yeah. Or, or right. some discussion. Yeah, I yeah. think it was in Sexaton, yeah. So the boys who want to be macho suck as much dick as they can right. to be like, you know. So is that gay or is that straight or yeah. what is that? You know, it's it's really hard to say. So I think that, you know, it's hard to talk about these things without defining terms. And then once you start trying to define terms, everything starts falling apart. Yeah. Um, In a lot of Native American societies, there were three genders. Okay. um, And also in South Pacific, there's some South Pacific societies with a third gender as well. um, Which is, you know, the the translation that's being used now is two-spirited ones. Okay. So it's someone who is born with both spirits within them,
1: meaning male and female. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, and so it could just be, you know, a male body, but that's a female spirit, or vice versa. And in all the societies that I'm aware of, that I've I've studied these things those people are accepted as what they identify as. The body's not seen as determinative.
1: Okay. interesting.
0: And also the relationships that they get into are not determinative for the other person. So in other words, it, the, this um, woman who occupies a male body, if I want to marry her, that doesn't say anything about me. In fact, she's pretty good... Um, wife material because she's strong and she can carry a lot and you know whatever. Right, okay. So it's it's not like oh that makes me strange because now I'm with this you know transgender person or something. It's it's just no that's just that's just a woman. She happens to have been born in the male body. Right. So
1: I mean, do you think it is? I mean, if we're gonna let's say presume there is no such thing as a spirit or you know. I don't know, floating essence of some sort, is it, is there some component of gender that's in the brain or in the wiring of the brain, you know, that sort of thing? Yeah,
0: I I think so. And, you know, for example, there's a lot of evidence and it's continues to accumulate that um, you're as a male, you're more likely to be gay if you have several older brothers Okay, and it's not because you got beat up or right, you know right. harassed um, because they d- do these studies with kids that are adopted and what so it appears to be that the mother's fetal environment changes ah. um, if she's already had uh each time she has a male fetus uh-huh. the fetal environment changes the level the the hormonal um, balance in the placenta changes and so And those hormones are determinative of a lot of things later in life. So, I mean, is it like nature's way of kind of making sure there's a decent ratio of man versus women? Could be, yeah. yeah. And there's so many mechanisms going on that we don't know about. And as always, there's all this arrogance sort of built into the scientific perspective, I think, because, you know, we – it's very hard – to create a worldview that incorporates how much we don't know, because it's, yeah. you know that's not very useful for you know behavior right. predictive. So we, all, I, in fact, I have an idea for a book I probably never get around to, but it's about the things we know we don't know, but we never talk about them. But specialists uh, okay. know we don't know it.
1: Well, this is very uh, Rumsfeldian, right? It, like that's the, it. Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: Yeah. The the known unknowns. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, one example that that really I think it, when I realized this is when I started thinking about writing this book is, you know, we talk about in um, evolutionary science and uh, archaeology, we talk about the exodus the from Africa about okay. 70,000 years ago, which appears to be when our ancestors left Africa. Other hominid species had left Africa earlier that okay, developed yeah, into right. the Neanderthals and the Cro-Magnon and all that. But our, the ones that ended up being Homo sapiens left Africa around 70,000 years ago, they think. And um, the reason that they located then is that the sea levels were were 300 feet lower, and so there's a land bridge across the Suez, what's now the the. Gulf of Suez or the Suez Canal or whatever
1: and that is where like uh, that's going... like
0: Ethiopia into yemen oh you know, okay that the horn is that the horn now the Horn of Africa is the other side into into the Middle East okay, okay, got it um, so the earliest remains that they found are in like Israel and around there, and then they go down you know, through India and up into Europe eventually. it' okay. took like thirty thousand years to get up into europe it's it's a bit of a trek. Yeah. Well, and it, they move very slowly. Right? Yeah. They weren't like on a mission; they were just wandering, you know, following the antelope or whatever. So, okay, so they spread around the world, and they spread along the coastline because that's where the food is. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got all the mollusks, and you've got whales and fish. You can they're washing up, or you can net and. Also, the sight lines are good, so you're not getting jaguars jumping out of the okay. bushes. You know? If a, a leopard comes down to the beach, you just go in the water, and it's probably not going to get you, and the sharks aren't coming into the shallow water. and right. Um, so that sort of coastal, um, tidal area is a really good, safe, rich place for people to be. So that's – and also it's easy to walk along the beach, right? You'd rather walk on the beach than through a jungle. Yeah. So that's how people spread around the world. Um, But there's no archaeological evidence because that's all 300 feet underwater now. Ah, right, right. And And also you've got the waves and the tides. It's going to destroy, you know, anything that you left there, including bones. Right. So what are we looking at when we're when we're reconstructing the world 70,000 years ago? What are we looking at? We're looking at these very atypical parties that went off into the mountains for ah, some reason. Okay, interesting. Or yeah. you know, we're in a cave somewhere and we're saying, "Okay, well, so extrapolating from this evidence, here's what we know about lifespan and, you know, male to female child, you know, how many were living this and how many children and how the, this is totally atypical. Yeah. Yeah. All the typical examples are gone. Right. So we're extrapolating from something that's like, well, this wasn't representative of of average people at all. These were, I don't know, were they driven off because they were criminals or horrible bastards or, (laughs) you know, like, So, like, they might say, oh, look, you know, this one had an arrow in his shoulder, so we're going to surmise that, you know, interpersonal violence rates were very high among these people. Uh, Well, yeah, that's like studying a prison and and extrapolating from that to the way society's constructed. It's very hard. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That is very interesting. It reminds me of that, I think it's kind of a famous New Yorker cartoon where they're you know, some some dinosaur that's got like a horn on its head and, you know, uh, some spiny protuberance on its back and I don't know, wings or something dies and the bones decay and then they reassemble it. And, you know, the horns now on the back and the spiny things on the head. and
0: you know. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or you have the you know, the the old thing about the guy at night. Under the streetlight, on his hands and knees. And
1: oh, yeah. Looking for your keys. Because and... that's where the light is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah,
0: yeah. I feel like that's how science works. We you know, we, we develop the technique for measuring something, and then we run around measuring everything using that instrument. Yeah, yeah. Well, acting as if that's representative of the world when there's so much that we're missing. Which gets back to acid logic. That's one of the things I like about it. It, it illuminates... I guess it turns down the streetlight so your eyes adjust to the darkness and you see how much else is out there.
1: So you mean the the state of being, not the website? I yeah, think exactly. Right? Yeah. The state of being. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, the cognitive technique.
1: Uh, right. Right. Um, and yeah, that 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 makes sense. I mean, if you're sort of wired up to always make a certain kind of connection. If you can somehow adjust that so now you're making these new novel connections, then you're going to see things differently and and, uh, maybe observe something that you wouldn't have observed otherwise.
0: Yeah. There are these experiments, horrible, cruel, um, but very illuminating, where they raised uh, kittens in cages. Mm, Is the eyeball flipping around? Well, yeah, they had the vertical lines. Yeah. So the cages are like they had white walls i think with painted black lines vertically in them Mm -hmm. and then they i don't know how old the kittens were but they grew up looking at these vertical lines and then they took the kittens and put them in cages with vertical bars and the kittens couldn't see them
1: yeah and that that makes sense because your parts of your brain are wired for vertical lines and slanted and so if you don't have the you don't grow up with the ability to see those other things right. then you're not going to see
0: so what does that mean about you know getting back to cultural definitions or cultural constructions of things like what does that mean about people who hear voices or see ghosts or have mystical experiences that we dismiss from a western perspective mm-hmm. you know i mean i i've had some skeptics some you know skeptics scientific skeptics on the podcast and that's the thing we talk about a lot it's like it's really I I find it frustrating because it's hard for them to understand that their way of thinking even if it's scientific is still limited to the scientific way of thinking they're very convinced that that's a universal um approach to to perception
1: yeah um well I would probably side more with them than not I guess but I, Mm. I see what you're saying and I'm um yeah i I mean it's it's very true i mean you know there's several famous philosophers that kind of got into this stuff right that it's i mean it's somewhat wittgensteinian right the whole the meaning of words kind Mm -hmm. of you know your, your your language imposes a way of thinking on your brain right and and you could certainly say by extension, kind of the ideas within your language, you know, also kind of impose something. And I mean, do you ever see that movie
0: Arrival? You know, there's, I haven't seen it yet. It's been recommended a lot. The woman's a linguist, right? So, yeah, the
1: idea yeah. there is that, that she learns this alien language, and as a result, her whole way of thinking and perceiving changes, you know, and, and um, so, yeah, there, there's there's clearly something to that. Um I guess, you know, maybe it's a question of, like, is there an objective absolute reality that somehow is knowable even with the limits of, you know, whatever language or our, our tool set of ideas, uh, you know, w- whatever we possess as far as that goes, language and, and our ideas, does that, like, blind us to reality or can we still observe reality, you know, despite having those limitations?
0: What do you think? Um, well, I
1: guess I'm optimistic enough to say that we probably can, but, um, you know, I mean, that's a, it's an interesting meaty one. I mean, I do think like we have our feet up on this wooden barrier right here and I, you know, I do think it exists in some sense, even though I know there are people who will. Kind you know not exactly disagree with that, but maybe say that it exists in some form that's so different than what we experience, it might as well, you know, not exist or. Well, whatever. it's
0: mostly empty space, right? Yeah. On that subatomic level, well, there the the neutrons and the electrons make up less than one percent of the volume of this thing, right. and yet our feet are resting on it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> so. there's there's all that, but but I mean, I guess you could just take it even further and. I mean, I mean it's it's hard to wrap your brain around. Yeah, I, I guess it might get into, for example, you know, we, we feel that the world is three dimensions plus time, but then some people say it's eleven dimensions, and you're like, how the hell can that be? You know? Yeah. And you know, our brain just can't really even comprehend that. Um, but I don't know. They, some guys say hey, that's how the world is. So in a way, you're kind of asking me, can can we ever? I don't know, appreciate the 11-dimensional world with our, you know, our feeble brains and all that. And, um, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it seems hard to see how that would be possible, but um, maybe I'll be optimistic and say, I don't know, we might figure it out
0: someday. I, I for me, the key is humility. And, mm-hmm. and I think what I was getting at with the skeptics is is the certainty.
1: I see. Yeah, yeah.
0: The, the like... What is measurable is all there is. Uh, this materialistic yeah, right, right. view of the universe and of experience. And I, for me, certainty is, is the enemy of all yeah, that is yeah. beautiful and wonderful in the world. Because, you know, who is it? Philip K. Dick, who said, reality is that which, when you stop believing in it, doesn't disappear yeah okay now when i first read that 20 years ago or something it really stuck in my memory because i thought that sums it up that's great the reality is that which doesn't require your belief for it to exist right right um and at the time i was sort of i think more sort of motivated by an anti-religious zeal and you know calling Mm -hmm. out bullshit on the religious thinking and all that um but as I matured or, you know, grew old or whatever we're going to call it,
2: mm-hmm. it,
0: it started to reveal itself to me in a different light, which is that I started to notice that there are aspects of reality which are dependent upon our belief for them to exist, mm-hmm. but are no less real for that. For example... Okay. um Placebo. Right. Okay. It, it depends upon your belief structure interacting with this cue. Yeah. Um, and so you could say, well, then it's just an illusion. There's no medicine there. It's just a sugar pill or whatever. But there are measurable results. People have incredible responses to placebo ranging from voodoo death to complete recovery to you know surgery with no anesthesia i mean there's crazy stuff that can happen uh and it's predictable and as i said measurable quantifiable so it's real in the, the you know what we're calling reality and yet it's dependent upon belief at the same time
1: yeah that that is definitely very interesting and I'm actually I've just been reading a book um, it's Lisa Rankin I think is her name it's called mind over medicine and it's certainly discusses placebo Mm. and and um, I mean I've read other similar books and I mean there's no denying that it's a real thing that you know I mean they have to account for it when they do studies and that sort of thing Um, I mean and I I've had I have thought a bit about that reading your book and Let me see if I can somehow formulate what I'm thinking here. Um, I I guess you could sort of say, okay, so you're a person, and let's say you have hives, and they give you this, you know, they say, here's a hives drug, and you take it, and it it cures them, and then you find out, well, in fact, that, you know, it was just a sugar pill or something like that. Um, So you know the idea is kind of that well you've got this mind your mind and it has this belief that this is you know something that's really going to help me and the mind then interacts with the body you know in some way that presumably you know fires off some uh, hormones or something i don't know you know something changes in your body and actually rankin kind of gets into this a bit about just this idea that like you know, every one of your cells is kind of sitting in an environment, which is really, I guess, like your bloodstream and that sort of thing, and whatever's in your bloodstream. And, you know, you could have, if you have a very fearful negative Mindset that affects that environment in so much as that it it, it washes You know your, your blood is filled with you know I'm right. not quite sure what you, you probably know better than I but some kind of chemical stuff or right. something cortisol yeah, you, Right exactly. Yeah, and on the flip side if you're super optimistic, and you know Then you've got you know whatever that gives you so you can start to see this kind of like um uh I don't know if the term would be physiological, but you can start to see how the, the mechanisms of how this might work, you know, like, um, and in fact, in a sense, it almost becomes sort of obvious, right? It's just like, well, yeah, if you're, if your body's sitting in poison, then,
0: you know, yeah. things are not going to go well. Right. You eat shit, you're going to get yeah, sick. Right,
1: yeah. right. Or if you just... You you scare yourself into, you know, having a a bad system or you yeah. you hope yourself into having a good system. You know, that's mm. going to have some kind of effect. I mean, I guess it sort of sounds like now I'm being kind of reductionist and saying, you know, I'm, I'm sucking the magic out of things and just saying, <laughs> oh, well, it's, it's just, you know, just your hormones, you know. But, um yeah, I, I mean, it's very true that we know very little and and it's just good not to be a pompous ass about these things. And, yeah. you know, pretend, you know, all, all the answers.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I've had a couple of experiences that were inexplicable, mm-hmm. um, and you know that that's where I, that's what keeps me from a, a hard materialistic sort of vision of of the world. Yeah, you know, I always have to sort of
2: because
0: <clears throat> it's tempting, you know. Certainty is very alluring. Yeah, and uh, but it's kind of like what we were saying about lead singer disease earlier. It's it's an affliction of the ego right to become certain and it's the first step toward becoming an asshole <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a short road right, there are very right. few steps you know um but yeah the 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 mystery i think it was einstein said that you know you, you can either approach life as if nothing's a mystery or everything's a mystery right right it's kind of i mean do you you seem like the kind of person who's had this this experience. So I don't know if you still have it of, of just like, do you ever still have that like, holy fuck, this is this is unbelievable. Like we're on this planet, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about? That like first time you ever got high kind of experience. Yeah. I mean, I still get it all the time. Like this is all ridiculous. This is all just a a dream.
1: Uh, right. Um. I, yeah, I, I, I may not be quite on that level that you, that you are there, but I, I won't certainly will say I, mean, I didn't there are, sleep
0: well last yeah, night.
1: Yeah. There are times where I am walking and I just see some flowers or something, and I am like, "Wow, what, you know those those are really magnificent colors," you know, and and yeah. it kind of stops me in my tracks, yeah. you know, and I'll just sort of sit there and stare at it. Um, I think where you know I, I've always had a bit of a. Um, I don't want to say animosity, but a, a little of butting heads with kind of you know the hippy dippy people in the world, and um, and I you know like I guess uh, like I was just saying I can be kind of reductionist and maybe materialistic about these things, but I kind of feel like. You know, you could look at a beautiful sunset and someone might just say, well, that's clearly, you know, the universe giving us beauty to enrich us or something, or that's God speaking to us or something like that. Or you can say, well, that's just, you know, a combination of light streaming through water and that sort of thing. And I think you can have the the latter view there and still say but it's absolutely magnificent or something mm-hmm. like that i mean it, it, it's almost like at that yeah. point when you're having that experience who really gives a shit what it is you yeah know? yeah uh, i mean it's it's like you don't really have room in your mind to to to, to think those thoughts at that point
0: what, what i like where i try to locate myself is in the sense of wonder yeah and if someone starts saying that's god saying sending us this specific message then i'm like you're full of shit Uh and if it's someone saying oh that's just you know light refracting through water vapor and you know (laughs) blah, blah 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 i say well you're full of shit too it's just undifferentiated wonder and so to me it's it's more like um i mean with all due respect to science i feel like art is a Uh, Sort of a more uh, for me, a more fruitful way of addressing these sorts of questions because it doesn't try to explain it. It just tries to recreate it or connect to it.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, of course, we're sort of doing the very thing we were talking about. Right. Which is we got a term art you know, and then right. you got to put things in the art box and then there's science and you got to put things in the science box. Yeah. And of course those things are very useful. And I mean, we wouldn't be anywhere without the ability to talk about these things. But um, yeah, I don't, cause I mean, I guess as, as a musician, you know, like I've certainly had people that are just like, you know, I don't know, how do you do it? How do you express the emotion? Blah, 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 that kind of stuff. And and it's just like, you know, really, it's not rocket science. I mean, it's just kind of like, you know, you, you know, there are books about uh, this stuff and you do what's in the books and you talk to people uh, and talk to how they do it. And, and so, I mean, there's kind of, uh, sometimes I guess I feel like art or music or that stuff. It gets put up on this pedestal and it's like this untouchable thing. And, yeah. and it's, 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 um, you know,
0: it is what it is. I guess it's. It's funny because you reminded me of two things. There, one is that I recently had a rocket scientist on the podcast. Okay, and he's a mystic. Ah, okay. He this guy's on the like the the NASA committee that's choosing the landing site for the next Martian shot, and okay. he designs interstellar spacecraft, and like he's like off the charts, super genius, dude. But he's a total mystic,
1: in the sense of any in particular. This,
0: well, if you look at, if you saw him walking down the street, you would think he was like doing horoscopes or something. He's like, you know, has all this jewelry and the right, beard okay. and the flowing clothing and the you know long hair. And his name's Bruce Damer, beautiful, lovely, lovely guy. Um, he lives in the redwoods up above Santa Cruz. Oh, nice. Um, That's
1: a very mystical
0: yeah area, like right like two doors down from where Ken Kesey was, in the. All right, seventies, I guess, uh, early seventies. Um, but uh, he he believes, and, and again, belief is the wrong word here because it's demonstrable. It's, he's demonstrated it. He enters an altered state of consciousness from which he sees things mm-hmm. like the surface of Mars or how a given shape will move through the vacuum of space at certain speeds ah, okay. and he just sort of conceptualizes things in a non-local non-linear way and then does the calculations to get to where he knows he's already gonna get
1: right you right know? okay yeah
0: it's 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 phenomenal I, right. I mean
1: i think einstein talked about that just that sort of like yeah he knew the answer and then he just had to figure out how to how to explain the answer right. how to get to the answer.
0: mathematically yeah, right, how to right. arrive there yeah well that's what bruce does so it's interesting again you know you're and i take your point it's like well we're calling this art calling that science and but some of the most interesting thinking is where people don't accept those categorizations and just say i don't know what it call it what you want but this is what i'm thinking yeah yeah right 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 the other thing you reminded me of is is my best buddy who i haven't seen for a couple of years who's i'm going to see him tomorrow um he's a he was a musical prodigy and and growing up with him just we would have these conversations cuz i love music i, I really feel it and it's important to me but I can't play anything and I never have mm-hmm. so when I hung out with him and he would you know play a Chopin etude or okay. you know then play some Bootsy Collins on his bass and you know he he's wow. all over the place and I remember like having these conversations where like what you were describing where I'm, I was the guy saying like you know you're connecting to this other dimension. You're, you're, you know, you're a medium through which this <laughs> right. meaning is coming. And he's like, dude, it's a minor chord. It's no big <laughs> deal, you know? If you just go from an F minor <laughs> right, to a G right, major, right, right. it's like you're going to have... It's a trick. It's like a parlor trick and magic trick. I can make you feel nostalgic with a certain chord progression.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you ever um, read This Is Your Brain on Music? No. Okay. Or, you know, I've Daniel Levitan. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. Because, yeah. right, he's, um, certainly he touches on some of that. And just that idea that, yeah, you can almost, like music, it's almost like emotional programming or something. Yeah. In, in the sense of, you know, you can, you do this chord and then this chord and this chord, and that's going to have a certain emotional connotation. Or Actually, are you familiar with, uh, I'm trying to remember this guy's name, was it Maynard Keynes or something? And he had something called Sentix. Mm. Which, um, yeah, you should look him up because um, I mean he's dead, but you you know just get familiar D- dig with him. Up. Yeah, right. <laughs> just to get familiar with his whole shtick, because he was another guy. I think he was he was like a musical prodigy who was like touring Europe at age sixteen playing piano, mm-hmm. but then he got into psychology and that sort of thing. And you know I am connecting this back to what we were talking about, which was so he had this whole idea. I think that you can kind of. I mean, impose emotional states kind of by just touching people in certain rhythmic patterns oh, yeah. in the same sense that, you know, kind of certain rhythmic patterns, you know, feels different ways. And I mean, I teach music some now and I was just teaching a girl this this whole concept that, you know, there's kind of a difference between like a, a steady, you know, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, as opposed to like putting things on the off beats and and they have this whole thing. I mean there's a guy Bob Rosman who was a uh, um, sort of a you know early jazz style guitar player um, and and he had a whole thing that I don't necessarily buy but it's interesting to think about which was that. Basically, if you looked at what he called, you know, oppressive or oppressor cultures, which were, you know, basically white European cultures in his view, um, the, you know, they're very focused on kind of downbeaty kind of stuff, right. you know, on the one and the three and that sort of thing, and that's certainly true if you think of like, you know like Germans who come to mind when you think of oppressive cultures yeah. and, you know, their music, like the, that po- the polka thing is yeah. very, yeah. It's just like, dun, 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 you know, right. everything's right on that downbeat. You can, you can, you can march to it, you right. know? Um, whereas if you think of like, let's just say oppressed cultures, um, you know, and, and I'm a, I'll use say like, like Jamaicans or something like that, you know, it's this kind of upbeat, you know, it's like, like everything's kind of, it's 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 sort of, according to him, you know, it's sort of like they're reacting to things. Bounces. And, yeah, right, right. That, you know, it's kind of something happens and you bounce up. Right. Now, I'm not saying I agree with that or that that's the way the world is or anything, but I'm just saying it's interesting to think about the f- idea that rhythms can connotate these sorts of like emotional states that, you know, could even kind of be shared by an entire culture or something like that and i I, you know leonard bernstein had this series he did years ago uh called the the young people's concerts and he had one that was just on kind of how like french music kind of sounds like the french language and Mm. you know german music in the same way And, and and it was specifically really like kind of where you place the accents like in language of the phrase And then of music kind of in the musical phrase and you know if I could hum some examples that would be good But I don't actually remember them, but you know, I think it's on YouTube
0: well when when you were talking about that uh, you know chord progressions Creating emotional resonance I was wondering does that apply across cultures or is that something we're primed for having grown up in this culture?
1: Yeah, I I mean I've I've read a couple books on that um, and Again, I think the answer the honest answer is we don't know it'd be easy Um, to
0: to look into though, right? I mean,
1: yeah, I think there is uh, Boy, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, I think you can Take it to a certain level in which you can say that like when we're talking about dissonant chords um, You know, so we're talking about a chord basically and let's say it has three notes in it so each of those notes has got a waveform, and that's not entirely correct either, because really any individual note really has multiple waveforms, but there's like a dominant one. So if you take two notes, let's let's simplify it and just say two. If 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 you take them. Take those notes and play them, and and you, you know, scope out their waveforms. If you kind of graphically map those waveforms on top of each other, you can kind of tell whether they fit nicely together or whether they kind of there's a lot of, you know, peaks and valleys, kind of, or, you know, peaks where valleys should be, and then that right. sort of thing. Right. And so um, I think it is basically true that, you know, dissonance, which we sort of associate with. Some kind of negativity perhaps and that kind of thing, you know, like if it's a horror movie It's got a lot of dissonance in the soundtrack Mm -hmm. Um, Those those Intervals are conflicting
0: Whereas that'll be? uh, Discomforting for people.
1: Yeah, right, right, but but not yet. Yeah, I believe it's true You can say that 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 is correct cross-culturally. I mean, I'm sure there's some exceptions and all that but i think that's generally true that you know if you play i mean i mean a classic example of a dissonant intervals like the flooded fifth and i think if you play that for a western guy and you know someone in new guinea they're both going to say you know there's something weird there you know you know i mean i'm saying that and i'm kind of doubting myself as i say it but i mean certainly we could say that's true across european and probably you know asian and that sort of thing
0: Yeah, bringing this all together, do you know the theory about uh, how psychedelics affect the development of music? I don't believe I do. I don't remember where I read this. It could have been Terrence McKenna or or someone else, but the idea is that... You know, uh, in in shamanic cultures, altered states of consciousness, you know, this placebo effect and hypnosis, and those were very important tools of healing, right? So every culture, and this is pretty demonstrable and and accepted, I think that every culture cultivated uh, altered states of consciousness to be able to harness them for positive purposes. Right. And in the Western world, in the, the Americas, there's a lot of um, uh, psychedelic plants available, the, the psilocybin and the peyote and okay. you know, all sorts of stuff in North and South America. Even tobacco is a psychedelic, we, the way Native Americans use it. It's very, very strong. Okay, um, But in Africa, there are very few native psychedelic plants. Okay. Iboga is the only one, I think, that's native to Africa, and it's uh, extremely strong, not something you would use just for, you know, occasional (laughs) party. Um, Anyway, so the, the theory then is that over millennia, African societies used to learn to use rhythm ah, to induce altered yeah. states. okay, okay. Whereas in the Americas, you get just boom, 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 because they're eating mushrooms. They're already high, they so... They don't need yeah, the right, complex right. rhythms, huh. yeah.
1: Yeah, that's... That is interesting, and that's... It reminds me of being in Morocco again, and you have the, the Berbers there who are kind of like the Native mm. Americans of Morocco, basically. Yeah. And, yeah, they're very famous for these, like, super complex, um, you know rhythms that have like multiple things going uh, on i love and that
0: north african music yeah yeah, yeah.
1: And, and you could see how it would be sort of hypnotic in a certain sense in that there is a lot of kind of like you know maybe uh, to call it repetition isn't quite right but there's, there's something consistently plodding along there but yeah. then it's just like the way th- the other stuff's interacting with all that it's yeah. you know your brain would just get kind of dizzied you know trying to keep track of it all yeah
0: yeah a little stunned yeah, that's that's really interesting stuff. I I I see again. I it, it those those early conversations with my friend Mike uh, stuck with me because, in a way, it was very disappointing to me because I it, it was like having a I have another friend who's a magician, mm-hmm. you know, and he will never show me how he does his tricks, but he'll right. do them over and over and over and let me try to figure it out, <laughs> I, which just is humiliating. <laughs> you know? And, but I remember him saying to me, like, don't worry about it, Chris. The smarter someone is, the easier they are to trick.
1: Yeah, I've heard that. So, so what was his, what was he trying to say?
0: Like, well, he was trying to say, like, don't feel dumb that you can't figure this out. But on a deeper level, what I found interesting about it was he was saying the reason smart people are easy to trick is because they know where they're supposed to be looking. Oh, yeah. yeah, right. children and idiots, you can't direct their attention where you want it. Right, right. And so they're the ones who are going to notice you pulling the card from the bottom or slipping something or, you know...
1: Yeah, yeah, right, right.
0: And uh, and so there, you know, I guess the, the, the point is that there are certain forms of ignorance that I cherish because I think they actually enrich my life. And so I as much as i i find music to be fascinating i don't envy him the that look behind the curtain yeah
1: you you don't want to know how the trick's done
0: if it's going to diminish my ability to feel it right 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 yeah you know what i mean it's like hey i love this woman oh yeah but let me tell you about you know her flaws i don't want to hear about her flaws dude i'm in love with her you know it's like it's it's I mean i I don't know as far as love goes, I think there's something that incorporates everyone's flaws and all that but yeah I was talking with Mickey Avalon this morning about wine uh-huh. and uh you know i I was saying that uh i I really am capable of enjoying deeply enjoying a $15 bottle of wine. Sure. I don't want to be the guy who can't enjoy it unless it costs $200.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I and can't afford to be that guy.
1: <laughs> you know what I, mean? I mean, I can enjoy a $3 bottle of wine. You know. <laughs>
0: that's Charles a, Shaw. Uh, I don't know. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's cutting it close.
1: Haven't they done, you know, various uh, I don't know if you call them studies or something, but you know, the thing where they they pour the $200 bottle of yeah. wine into the $20 and vice right. versa, and these wine snobs are sitting around saying yeah. oh you can taste the yeah. hint of ochre and all this stuff
0: <laughs> and it's <laughs> well they don't even know in some of those tests they didn't even know if they were white or red
1: oh really okay that, right, it right, got yeah. that bad
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 so it's funny how uh and you know an intelligent at least from my perspective an intelligent approach to life includes the the purposeful preservation of certain types of ignorance. Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, you know, it is sort of true that you hear these stories of, you know, some guy, you know, walks into a room of mathematician, mathematicians trying to solve something and he doesn't know much and they explain the basic problem and he's like, oh, well, isn't it just bloopity bloop bloop? And they're like, oh, oh," yeah, because, you know, they're sort of looking too closely at the problem. Right. and, and, And he's got this, his brain hasn't been locked into you know, again, it's that the the prison of ideas and language and all yeah, this stuff.
0: Specialization. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we. I feel like I. I knocked you off a track there. Oh. Were you, were you going somewhere that I interrupted?
1: Uh very possible. But <laughs> if so, we're we're way off the track anyway.
0: <laughs> that's why it's called tangentially speaking. <laughs> right. Okay. I, I like to just go wander, wander around. Well, that's that's why they call it acid logic. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Uh, I sure did. And uh, check out Acid Logic online, or Forbes the Mighty, I think is his online handle. Uh, if you want to get a copy of that Tangentially Reading book I was talking about earlier, remember you can order it on Amazon anywhere in the world, and you get the Grey Tone uh, version. If you live in North America, well, America, the United States of not Canada, uh, but if you live in the U.S. and you want to get a copy full color, uh, my mom is shipping it out of her garage for the same thing you pay online. I think maybe maybe it's a few bucks extra for shipping, but it's 20 bucks. Same same uh, price for the book. Um, and you get the full color version. It's pretty heavy, which is why we can't send it all around the world. So those are the two options. And uh, remember, she also has got all those t-shirts in the garage. Got to get rid of those t-shirts. They're filling up the whole garage so if you want a t-shirt you got your paleo modern you got your tangentially speaking you got your civilized to death your sex at dawn you got them all in there and lots of them are on sale because the ones that don't sell as well we're gonna just sort of get rid of those and then stick to the ones that do and maybe of anthropology shirt at some point in the near future remember this podcast is commercial free you may have noticed no commercials Except me selling myself. And so if you want to buy me, if you want to support what we're doing here, uh, please consider signing up on Patreon.com. And uh, any amount gives you access to the Romas and the Tomas and all that, which is where I talk about whatever is going on. I answer emails from listeners. Uh, tomas are travel stories. It's been long overdue. I got to get to some more of those. Um, and uh, what else? Dun, dun, dun. Oh, the use of my Amazon affiliate link, if you go to chrisryanphd.com or thatchrisryan.com or tangentiallyspeaking.com, it's all the same place, different names. It's like religion, different paths to the top of the same mountain, right? So if you go to any of those places, you find the Amazon link there. And uh, if you go through that link, when you buy stuff on Amazon, about 5 to 7% of what you spend comes to support me and my various shenanigans so thank you very much for that that also works in the u.s uk and canada those those three amazon uh locations if you don't have any cash but you still want to support the podcast uh reviews on itunes are always helpful um and uh you know encourage other people to check it out that's always helpful Intro music was by Basin and Range. The song is called Bright Side of the Sun. That's just a little snippet of it. Check out the whole thing at basinandrangeband.com. There's a Reddit discussion group about the podcast. Several thousand people in there. You can drop in there, talk about what an idiot I am, and other people will agree with you and vote you up. Uh, Just go to Reddit and look for Tangentially Speaking. There's also... um, an online site for local groups of people who listen to this podcast who want to get together with each other. Something I highly encourage because everyone I've met through this podcast has been fucking awesome. So if you listen to the podcast, I would encourage you to meet other people that do. And I really think you're going to like each other. Anyway, that's at tspeaking.boardhost.com. There are different sub headings for different parts of the country, I think, and the world. And so if you look on there, you might find people near you. All right, that's it. What else can I say? Shore Design T-shirts. You can get them from my mom if you want one of the styles we have. If you want anything else, go to shoredesigntshirts.com. They've got tons of stuff. It's really cool. Uh, I guess this is sort of an ad because they've been supporting this podcast since the day, the first episode. Um, and anyway, you get a discount of 20% from them if you use... The discount code CTD at checkout, you get 20% off whatever you order, yoga, clothes, and all sorts of cool shit from Thailand. All right, now I'm going to play Smoke Alarm by the great Carsi Blanton. You can learn more about her at carseyblanton.com. Here's to you, Bennett and Justin.
2: He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you wanna say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to what's the difference if you turn away I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation wondering what they're gonna say when everyone you've ever known is headed for a headstone i don't want to give the end away but we're gonna die one day your body is an animal Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say When everyone we've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't want to give the end away But we're gonna die one day We're gonna die one day We're gonna die one day day. So baby, what's a big deal?